Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, June 15th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why education officials are reviewing state testing requirements ahead of the upcoming school year. But it's just causing a a lot of stress and a lot of undue, unnecessary concern for parents and students. One of the state's Gulf Coast cities is receiving high ratings, why some say you should get to the beach. Then a perspective on the challenges of fatherhood and the rewards of active parenting. Plus a history lesson and preview of Juneteenth celebrations in Mississippi cities. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Members of the Mississippi Commission on School Accreditation are reviewing, from the University of are reviewing a policy on standardized testing to prevent negative effects on the state's students. The move could temporarily prevent changes that were due to take effect in the coming school year. Students' assessment scores were slated to constitute 25% of their final grade. But the commission wants to keep the subject area test scores separate over concerns about the emphasis on state testing. Paula Vanderford is Chief Accountability Officer at the State Board of Education. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood what led to the changes. There was a a number of APA comments um, that outlined a number of concerns. Sorry, what's APA? Oh, I'm sorry, the Administrative Procedures Act um, comment where um, the public is allowed to provide comments regarding the implementation of that particular policy. And so um, uh, 14 comments were received in total, but each of those comments had, you know, multiple areas of concerns outlined. Um, They range from um, ensuring that our assessment vendors would have the scores back in enough time for them to calculate the grades by the end of the school year, um, particularly for students that are on a four-by-four schedule that would take their assessments in the fall window that would need their grades calculated um, by the end of the year. Many um, students actually take those assessments the last day or two before they dismiss for 
holidays, and um, districts were concerned that we wouldn't have those scores back in time. Uh, we do not have a uniform grading scale across the state, so there were a number of concerns expressed about um, the result of that. Um, we had a number of concerns regarding um, us having to change our current assessment window where we would have to assess students earlier in the year um, and they would actually lose instructional time before the assessment being administered. So the uh, rationale behind um, our decision was looking at the public comments um, and uh, addressing the district's concerns and um, it was the leadership at the agency's um, recommendation that at this time we would repeal the policy and continue with the practices that we currently have in place. Tell me why um, you feel strongly that that's the best option and what would that mean for education in Mississippi? Well, um, I, I think the option um, today in lieu of the comments that we received and the number of questions and concerns that were raised, I think it's going to take time for us, the agency, to do our due diligence in um, looking at other options or assembling a task force of um, stakeholders such as administrators and um, superintendents um, to help us if we want to move forward in combining the student score on the end of course with the grade. Um, what What's a, an option to do that? Um, the legitimate concerns that were raised, we didn't feel like we could adequately adequately address those at this time and so that the best option would be to repeal that portion of the policy until we could have some further study. Commission on School Accreditation's Paula Vanderford. Joyce Helmick is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. She tells our Ashley Norwood teacher parents and students have all all have concerns over the number of state tests. I would imagine that it has to do with the push during the legislative session as well as concerns of educators across the state that these standardized tests are might be part of a student's grade and might prevent that student from graduating or might prevent the student from uh, having a GPA that would be positive for uh, him or her. Because sometimes, you know, as we've said before, students are just not great test takers. I know um, standardized tests and assessments has been a big topic, um, especially recently. What are some of the other concerns that you have just about students taking those sort of exams? You know, recently we have opened up uh, and, and had some student, I mean, some teachers send us some uh, letters and concerns. That this test-taking culture that we have right now in our schools is causing so much stress for our students and our teachers. It is causing students to not want to go to school. If they don't want to take these tests, they're nervous about it. They think if they fail, they're failures. They know that they're not going to get the results back immediately to be able to look at their mistakes. And so that in itself presents a difficult situation for students who are used to getting back their tests and being able to look at it. A lot of them do not understand what these standardized tests or these big important tests mean in general and that's the students and then parents. Parents did not have to take these kinds of tests. There was not that kind of stress on them when they were in school so there's little lack of understanding 
there, but it's just causing a lot of stress and a lot of undue, unnecessary concern for parents and students. When there are many ways for us to assess students besides these standardized tests or in addition to them so that that's not the only thing that we're using to decide a student's future. The other thing is that the teachers are expressing how much time is being spent on the testing, the preparation for the tests, the district's requirements to get ready for those state tests. Many of them are reporting that out of their 180 days, for example, of instructional time, as many as 50 days is taken up with with the testing. Joyce Helmick is the president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. Joyce, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you. The State Board of Education will meet next week to consider the proposed recommendations. Coming up, one of the state's Gulf Coast cities is receiving high ratings. Why some say you should get to the beach. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Summer travel season is underway in Mississippi. The city of Gulfport is one of the state's coast towns receiving accolades. Realtor.com ranks the beach town as the most affordable in the country. They say the quiet community is on the upswing, calling it one of the best-kept secrets of all the coastal towns. Milton Segarra is CEO of Visit Gulf Coast Mississippi. He tells us why Mississippians should plan to get to any of the coast towns this summer. When you're talking about tourism for our coast, uh, leisure is the number one driver right now. Uh, we have a phenomenal convention center and the Coliseum, which is a facility that it's um, extremely competitive. But when you take a look to our numbers, the majority of our visitors are leisure visitors that are coming to spend a weekend, two, four, five days at the coast, coming and see our casinos, come and see uh, our coast, enjoy the beach the potential to develop the meetings and conventions is tremendous. So that's something we'll do in conjunction with the partners and the plans that we have for next year. What impact does everything on the Gulf Coast have for the entire state of Mississippi? If you see the trend in terms of jobs in our industry, and I'm going to go to your question in a minute, but I think it's important to, to our audience to understand the importance of the job creation in our industry. One of every 10 jobs in U.S., it's related to our industry. And one of every five new jobs that are being created are part are created by our industry. And Mississippi specifically, our coast, is following that particular uh, trend very close. And for us, we have more than 32,000 direct jobs and indirect jobs because of the tourism and the uh, hospitality activity we're bringing every single year to the coast. And when you compare to the state, that's like one-third of all the activity that we have in terms of tourism that is being generated by the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Well, let's talk about what the coast has to offer. Starting now in June, the South Mississippi Summer Fair, which is in June the 7th through the 17th, and that is at the Coliseum and the Convention Center, and it's uh, you have rides and live music and shows and contests and a lot of entertainment. Um, you have Deep Sea Fishing Rodeo, that's in June 29th throughout July the 4th, um, and it's one of the largest family-friendly fishing rodeos that we have in the coast. 
And then by the end of July, we have the Blues of Rebiloxi, which is going to be, they are returning. We have the Blue Angels coming back to, to the coast over July 21 and 22nd with a great festival and uh, obviously having the worldwide renowned Blue Angels flying over Biloxi and the entire coast. So as you can see, those are a few of what we have coming down now in June and July. But I can tell you, one of the trademarks of our Gulf Coast is any weekend you come. It could be here in Biloxi or it could be in Gulfport. It could be in Moss Point or it could be in Pas Christian. We have something to do. There is a festival people enjoy, uh, receiving people, welcoming people, show the streets, show, show what they have to offer. And um, that's what people like about us. Do you recommend that people go straight to visit Mississippi Gulf Coast materials to plan their trip is sort of a starting point? It will be a great starting point if you visit um, gulfcoast.org. That's our website, and there you will find all sorts of information about us, about all the things you could do, and all the partners uh, that are with us in this um, adventure of promoting the Gulf Coast. And it's easily available either through the visitor centers, our office, or through our app, my Gulf Coast app. Milton Sagara is the CEO of Visit Mississippi Gulf Coast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and it's going to be a great season. Some Mississippians are preparing to honor fathers this weekend. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, children who grow up with an absent father are four times more likely to experience poverty and seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. Mississippi organizations like Families First Mississippi provide programming to help men and families take on the sometimes challenging role of being a father. Frank Wynn is fatherhood coordinator at Families First Mississippi. He tells us active parenting is necessary no matter where the child resides. Probably the biggest issue is employment. They have so many barriers to employment. Uh, Maybe it's a criminal record, uh, no driver's license, things like that. Uh, No work experience. That's probably the biggest thing. Are there many fathers in the state who are single parents? Well, when you say single parents, I think you're referring to not married to the child's mother. Right. And so, yeah. And I think it's a nationwide problem. It's a lot of single parents out there. And a lot of fathers, a lot of the fathers I work with, they don't necessarily get to see their kids, and that's a big issue as well. What circumstances would precipitate that? I hear from two different perspectives. So the fathers just say, "I don't get to see my kids. He don't want me to see my child." Uh, the fortunate thing is, I'm able to work with mothers as well, and, and I hear the other side. Sometimes uh, the kids are in unsafe or unsavory environments, and that may be a reason. Maybe the child is being left with other relatives or friends when they're supposed to be with that father. So it's a lot of things that play a role in that uh, from the mothers I work with, from their perspective. You mentioned the circumstances surrounding you know, the pressures on a father, like uh, not having a job or transportation to a job. What specifically do fathers fear or are they most concerned about as fathers? I work with three different groups of fathers. I just work with regular fathers that want to come in and be better fathers. I work with non-custodial parents, non-custodial dads, uh, these fathers that don't live with the kids, and then I work with those fathers that are leaving incarceration or reentry. And every one of them say visitation is the biggest issue. Uh, And like I said, there's various reasons why that occurs. You do help fathers with conflict resolution and anger management. Is that a prevalent problem? Yes, conflict resolution is, yes. I always talk to them about the five R's, is what I call it, respect, responsibility, restraint, resources, and resilience. And so that's part of the reason I put restraint in there. They have to demonstrate self-control. They have to be able to control that anger or frustration, they would call it, 
when it occurs um, because it only eats at that relationship they have with that, that child's mother. And once again, if that, if that is not on a respectful level, it's going to impact the time they have with the child. You offer a lot of services, or are counseling anyway, and topping the list is active parenting. Define that for us. Most of the women I work with, they're the custodial parents, and most of them are active, right? They're, they know their the kids' teachers. They take them to doctor's appointments. They, they come home and help them with their homework. They play with them. Uh, they do extracurricular activities with them. And that's what we want fathers to do as well. A lot of times the, the fathers that I work with, uh, they think just paying uh, child support is good enough. And you could pay support and not be an active father. You'd be surprised how many uh, fathers don't know their child's kindergarten teacher. That's only one teacher they have that entire year, and they don't know the teacher's name. And that's what we mean by being active. Uh, dropping the child off, you know, take over that responsibility of taking the kid to school. Take that responsibility or that burden away from the mom, and you do it. Or take a child to the, the dentist appointment, doing those things. Do homework. Instead of saying, go ask your mother for help, why not you take time and, and give it a shot and help that child with his homework. What are the effects on a child if the father isn't an active part of their lives? Oh, self-esteem is the first thing to come to mind. Um, it's impacted, especially with young boys, and, and one would argue young girls. Um, but, yeah, the self-esteem is impacted. But some of the other negative things that happen, you know, when there's one parent, a single-parent home, you increase the chances of being in poverty, that child, increase the chances of a child using alcohol and drugs or substances, and increase the chances of a child dropping out of high school. So there's so many things that happen, um, negative things that happen when the father is not involved. You just got a better chance when there's two parents on the same page that's respectful and responsible of having a, a child that have a pretty good life and upbringing. Frank Wynn is fatherhood coordinator at Families First Mississippi. Frank, thank you so much. Not a problem. Appreciate it. Father's Day is this Sunday. Coming up, a history lesson and preview of Juneteenth celebrations in Mississippi cities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cities in Mississippi are gearing up for tomorrow's celebration of Juneteenth. The annual event recognizes the word when word of the end of slavery reached enslaved people. On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation ending slavery in the United States. Two years later, on June 19th, 1865, Union soldiers reached Galveston, Texas, the last state to enforce freeing slaves. The Juneteenth celebration later began in Texas and has since spread across the country. Hattiesburg has hosted a celebration for 35 Five years, according to organizer Ray Smith. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it's a positive event. Juneteenth is much more than just a celebration. It's an opportunity for us to come together as a community, uh, white and black, and uh, face the issues that slavery has created for us. It's a mechanism for healing in the community and the state and throughout the United States. What type of programming do you have going on? Uh, we have uh, all sorts of live music. We have gospel, R&B, hip-hop, and blues. And we have a softball tournament. We have uh, arts and crafts, food. We have a car show. 
and we have a basketball tournament as well. What is the turnout like? A good turnout. Uh, it averages between five and, and 8,000 people. In the past, we've had as many as fifteen or 20,000 people. Is there any kind of educational component in there that teaches people about what the Juneteenth uh, event is based upon? The whole event is based on educating our community. We begin our programming with, first of all, with the history of Juneteenth and what it means to our community, as well as uh, we have a textbook, What is Juneteenth, that we promote. And uh, we are we have speakers uh, throughout the day that uh, deal with different aspects of uh, what slavery was and how it's significant to our Juneteenth celebration. So what kind of response do you get from people? What do they say to you? Most people uh, really are not aware of what Juneteenth really means, and that's why we stress doing this every year. As a matter of fact, across uh, the United States, um, you know, uh, many, many, many people are not aware of what Juneteenth is and what it means. We have some that, that are well acquainted with it, but by and large, most people that, you know, I connect with, have uh, really no knowledge, no in-depth knowledge of what Juneteenth is. The Hattiesburg celebration begins at 10 o'clock Saturday morning in Vernon Damer Park. Brad Franklin is on the steering committee for the Juneteenth celebration on Ferris Street in Jackson. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the festival in Jackson was started as one of many. It's not the only Juneteenth event that takes place in the city of Jackson. There's several Juneteenth events that take place here in the city. But Juneteenth on Farish, uh, the inaugural event was about three years ago. Myself and uh, two young ladies from Milwaukee by the name of Monique Mapp and Kiana Hawthorne came up with the idea. Juneteenth was a really huge celebration where they were from in Milwaukee, and they have since moved to Jackson, and they wanted to kind of create that same atmosphere here. And when I was working with the city of Jackson, we were looking for an event that we could have that could bring people down to the historic Ferris Street District because we felt like that was an area of downtown and in the city that needed to continue to have life and have activity. So we basically coupled the Ferris Street Historic District with a Juneteenth festival, and we used it as a way to get a critical mass down on the street. And the first year went exceedingly well, uh, surpassed all of our expectations. And uh, we have been doing it there ever since, and now it has become a staple. And hopefully Juneteenth on Farish is going to grow to be one of the bigger Juneteenth celebrations in the nation what what goes on during the celebration? There will be several events this year. I'm going to run them down real quick. There is an awards gala that takes place that will be at the Smith-Robinson Museum on Friday evening at 6 p.m. This is the inaugural gala, and we will be honoring people who have been doing great works in the community. Saturday is the annual festival and the parade that starts uh, on the corner of Farish and Hamilton. It ends on Ferris Street, and the parade goers actually walk into the festival, and that kind of is what officially starts the festival off. So the parade is at 4. The festival begins promptly at 5. There's entertainment. There's music. We've got over 50 vendors that are going to be there. It's the biggest street party of the summer, and uh, and we're just asking everybody to come out. It's absolutely free. Tell us, what is the significance of Juneteenth? So Juneteenth is basically the celebration, not of emancipation, but Juneteenth is the celebration of 
when the slaves finally got word from Abraham Lincoln that the slaves were actually free. So we know that emancipation took place in 1863. Well, it wasn't until June 19th of 1865 that the word actually got down to Texas and got to the last of the slaves, uh, the last slaves that knew of this news. They were free, indeed free and emancipated. And this is the celebration of that day. It happened on June 19th, thus the name Juneteenth. Uh, Of course, for those that have dug deeper into the research, Mississippi actually found out in May about emancipation. So we got our news a little bit before Texas did. So this is a celebration that kind of started in Texas, and it has branched out to several of the states here in the South. Texas celebrates Juneteenth, Louisiana, Arkansas does, Tennessee does, Mississippi does now, Alabama does now. They all have festivals that we have seen going on, and uh, this is Jackson's contribution to that mix. So it's it's a cultural celebration, but it's for everyone. This for us is, you know, the same as this being St. Patrick's Day parade and tailgating or Cinco de Mayo or any of the other other cultural events that take place here in the city. Tupelo, Meridian, and Natchez are among other Mississippi cities sponsoring celebrations. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. At 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. As a note, we'll be off the air in the Delta today from 10 until noon for maintenance. Did you miss part of the show? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.